But one of the um, popular Saturday morning cartoons, back when they had Saturday cartoons and you couldn't just stream Netflix 24-7, one of the popular cartoons uh, was the Transformers, right? So uh, from from the the mid-80s, the Transformers. uh, So most of you in the room are on the the upper end or the lower end of watching cartoons in the 80s. But uh, it was a, a show that has been remade popular through a whole series of movies starting in 2007, so you might know it from there. It's the the story of these two opposing factions of transforming robots, right, from outer space, and they they crash land on Earth, and they continue their war, but they disguise themselves as these cars and planes and, and different machines, so you can't really tell who the real Transformers are, right, because they're disguised in these different uh, di- different forms. Uh, but then, of course, endless battle breaks out, and like the movies, it is endless battle that just keeps going and going and going. But like any good TV tr- franchise, they also had a whole series of toys, right? And so uh, this was uh, one of the ones that I had uh, as, as, as a kid, this Optimus Prime here that would transform from semi-truck uh, into robot and then back to semi-truck, right? And so there's this fascination with things that can transform, right? That, that maybe a truck is not really a truck, maybe it's something more. Uh, maybe a car is not really a car, it could be something else. Uh, maybe the, the machines around us are, are really aliens in disguise, right? It makes the world around us a lot more interesting to know that maybe the things around us are something that can transform into something else. And so why, why are these so popular? I think we, we latch on to this idea of maybe something could transform into something different. That what we see on the surface is not really what it is. There's, there's a fascination with that, right? It's fun to look in and see maybe there's something more. The tagline from the Transformers movies and toys and shows, tagline is more than meets the eye more than meets the eye. It captures our imagination, captures some mystery. And so today we're wrapping up our series titled Man of Mystery, where we're looking at stories uh, from the Gospels, primarily the Gospel of Mark, looking at stories of, of Jesus. And it leaves us looking for more. Maybe there's more than meets the eye as we go through these stories of Jesus. Jesus begins his public ministry, and there's this sense of mystery, this sense of of who is this character? Who is this person who has come on the scene? And and Jesus gives us little bits and pieces, and there's parts that are worked into the story that gives us more and more about who he is. But he still keeps his true and full identity a secret. And so when we discover more about who Jesus is, when we discover more about this man of mystery, then we learn more about who Jesus is. We learn more about who God is, and we learn more about ourselves and our purpose, what we're supposed to be doing, who we are called to be. And so in today's passage, in today's story, we're going to see that Jesus is transformed, But unlike some toy or sci-fi character, he is so much more, right? He's transformed. His holiness is exposed through, through light and the presence of the prophets of old. And he, sta- he stands on a mountaintop where, where many monumental events through scriptures occur. And his clothes become blinding white. 
and Moses and Elijah are there, the ultimate character references for a Jewish leader. They appear there with him. And even though this revelation of his identity is still very limited, even though we just get a glimpse and only a few see it, and the, the, we will not fully see his identity until his death and resurrection. And it's this amazing moment on this mountaintop that sends a big message about Jesus' true identity. So let's open up to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 10, as we read the story of the transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up, high, up on a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and, and covered them, and a, a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. So here we have this moment that is more than meets the eye. The moment where the disciples get a glimpse of who Jesus really is. This moment where they, they see that he is more than just a man, more than just a teacher. Jesus stood before his disciples, and before their very eyes, he has changed. He has transformed. He, he changed from rabbi with a connection to God, one who spoke with authority in the flesh, to something even greater than Moses and Elijah put together. And so there's this glimpse of who Jesus really was, and it left the disciples stunned. It left them frightened. It left them confused, kind of grabbing for words. What can be said about what we've just experienced here? What is this man, Jesus? This one that transforms in front of us into something different. What if my rabbi isn't just a rabbi? And so the transfiguration of Jesus up on the mountain is, is an account within the larger story of Mark that is paving the way for, toward the crucifixion. Chapter 8, 9, and 10 give us this movement toward the cross. And Mark keeps dropping in, in these chapters, 
these predictions of Jesus' resurrection. And as the disciples say, they're discussing, what does this mean, raising from the dead? So there's these hints that are dropped along the way, but there's really not an understanding of what that means. Not an understanding of, of what's really happening here. And so the transfiguration gives this moment of glory where, where um, light comes in in an otherwise increasingly dark story. As we move closer and closer to the cross, the story gets darker and darker. But here we have this moment of light. This moment of the glory of God being revealed. And the witnesses of this transfiguration, it's not for the masses. There's only three of the disciples here, Peter, Peter James, and John, that are, are three from the twelve that are here present and witnessing this. As they're on the mountain, it says that Jesus was transfigured. There's this divine action that has occurred. That he has been transfigured. There's this sense that God is doing something. Something is happening here. It's not simply passive. And it's not in Jesus' effort or Jesus' work. God is making a statement through the transformation of Jesus about who Jesus is, revealing more of his identity to us. And as the, the details of the effect of this transfiguration are, are explained to us, the best that Mark can come up with is his clothes were really white. Right, like he had really good bleach in the laundry that day. Right, like that's the best he can describe this amazing moment. Words can't express it, but the best we can do is say his clothes were really white. When we look at the story in Matthew and Luke, we see a description of lights radiating from Jesus. There is this brightness. They don't have words to describe a light bulb going off. They don't have words that can give us this level of, of, of illustration. We don't have movie screens to, to be able to tell us what this, this transformation looks like. And so Mark tells us his clothes were just incredibly white. There's this brightness to what has happened to Jesus, this luminous appearance. And then at this transformation, we have Elijah and Moses showing up. What's going on here? These characters from the Old Testament appear, and, and it's confusing to the disciples. Peter is, is grasping at what to say. He's grasping at what to do. He, he, he stumbles around for what to do in a moment like this. And the best that he can come up with is, we'll set up three tents so that you guys have a place to stay. And so there's a place for Jesus and a place for Elijah and a place for Moses, that's the best that he can come up with. And so we aren't really entirely sure what, what Peter's trying to come up with here, or what he's trying to accomplish. But through Mark, there's this reinforcement of, of the disciples that lack understanding. They still don't get it. They're still confused. They, they still don't know what Jesus is trying to teach them. And so it just gives us more of this picture here. 
of the disciples still not fully comprehending what it is that Jesus is up to. Should give us a little bit more comfort, right? That maybe as disciples, we're not always entirely sure what Jesus is up to. But then in Peter's confused speech, this grasping at trying to come up with three tents, three shelters, another voice overtakes the scene. A much more important voice. It's reminiscent of the presence of God with Moses in Exodus chapter 24 where the cloud is on the mountain. And here the cloud represents the presence of God. God is here. And the voice, similar to Jesus' baptism, identifies Jesus as a beloved son. This is my son whom I love. But unlike the baptism scene, there's an added statement here that says, listen to him. This voice identifies who Jesus is. You know, the voice in Mark chapter 1 at the baptism, this is a voice for Jesus. We don't get the impression that everybody is hearing the voice identifying Jesus as the Son of God. In Mark chapter 1, the voice is giving Jesus his sense of identity. And now, here in this transfiguration in Mark chapter 9, we get this sense that the voice is for everyone else saying, this is Jesus, the Son of God. And now there's a call to obedience because of that identification. Listen to him. This is my son. Listen to him. But then as quickly as things appear, everything disappears. And now it's just Jesus and Peter and James and John standing there, everything back to normal, everything completely transformed back to what they expected. And so naturally, the three disciples would want to share what they've just experienced, right? Like, who's going to go tell this story, right? I Look at what I, <laughs> this is what I have just seen. Let me tell you about what I've just seen. Like, we would want to share the story with others, and Jesus immediately says, uh, do not share this with anybody, and so going down the mountain, the three of them are talking about what he's talking about. Because Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this until he has risen from the dead. You want to deter a conversation about this transformation that you've just experienced? Get them to talk about what rising from the dead is, what, what that means, Right? So now they're distracted going down the mountain, talking about, what did he mean, raising from the dead? This is their conversation as they walk back down the mountain. What is Jesus talking about? He's so weird. He's talking about rising from the dead. This is their conversation as they continue. And what we see is that Jesus cannot be fully known. And Jesus cannot be fully identified apart from the resurrection. That without the resurrection, this story still doesn't make any sense. We get glimpses of who he is. 
But until the resurrection, we don't fully understand who Jesus really is. And apart from the resurrection, the world does not understand who Jesus is. This transfiguration of Jesus is not a story that we often go to. I was going back through all my sermon notes, and I've preached on this once here, ever. (laughs) But it's this story that gives us an image of who Jesus is. You know, we'll revisit the birth story around Christmas time, right? And we'll do that every year. We'll we'll remember the story of Jesus' birth. This is significant for who Jesus is. Every year we'll remember the crucifixion at Good Friday, and we'll remember the resurrection at Easter, and of course we will certainly remember the death and resurrection of Jesus every Sunday as we gather at the table. But we don't spend a lot of time looking at the transfiguration. That's not a story that we go to frequently. The transfiguration gives us so much, though. We'll skim past it. We'll often get hung up on Peter and his confusion and the dumb things that he says. That will become the dominant part of the story that we read, completely missing the fact that Jesus is glowing. We'll get hung up on the confusion of Peter. But let's not completely throw Peter's words out here. Because Peter is the one who says, it is good for us to be here. That's not a dumb thing to say. Peter's got some insight here. He says it is good for us to be here. Don't completely understand what it means. It's still a mystery. I'm going to say some things that don't make sense, but it is good for us to be here. And so here are these disciples in this moment where Jesus is shining and Elijah and Moses are present and Peter says, it's good for us to be here. It's an important moment because we are witnessing this supernatural moment. It's good for us to put ourselves in the story as well to be in this moment where Jesus is transformed, where we are seeing what Peter is seeing. We are seeing what James and John are seeing, and we are hearing these divine words from a cloud. It is good for us to see that Jesus is transformed. It is good for us to see that Jesus is the Son of God. And so even though we can't fully understand this mystery, even though we don't fully comprehend what this transformation means, and in the absence of the resurrection, we don't really understand what the transformation is all about, it is good for us to be here in this story, in this scene. Because often we're not spending time witnessing the transformation of Jesus. Instead, we are trying to transform Jesus. We are trying to manipulate this character into the shape that we want it to be. To change Jesus. Instead of being transformed by Jesus. 
It wasn't the disciples who transformed Jesus. But yet we will approach Jesus wanting to transform him, to manipulate him, to to reconfigure him in a way that suits our needs. And so it's good for us to confront and be a part of this truth that Jesus is not who we've made him out to be. Jesus is not who we design. He's greater than we've assumed. He's holier than we give him credit for. He's better than what we have imagined. And so we need the transfiguration to remind us to break down our idolatry and our our self-serving ideas of who Jesus is and bring it back to this awe-inspiring moment, this breathtaking truth of who Jesus is with the glory of God shining through him. Like a child in the 80s, we pull out these toys and we twist and turn these tiny action figures trying to transform something into something else. And it's exciting for us to have that power over something, right? To be the ones who can manipulate something and control something. We want to be able to piece this thing together. And we want to try to transform Jesus into what what we want Jesus to be. And so who have you tried to transform Jesus into? Maybe in conversations that you have with coworkers or, or the things that you read on Facebook or, or the things that you're experiencing at school or, or the places that we're at, who are we trying to transform Jesus into? What is the world trying to transform Jesus into? Last week we talked a lot about political parties, so we won't get into that again. But oftentimes, we transform Jesus to match our political party. We transform Jesus to match our political views, or our economic views, our social views. Or sometimes we manipulate Jesus into a genie that can be faithfully pursued if we pray just right to get what we want. We manipulate Jesus into getting the things that we desire. Someone that we go to to meet our needs, someone that we go to to work at our bidding. Sometimes we transform Jesus just into a first century guru, someone who had great teaching, someone who had great things written about him, brings us some insights, but is not supernatural, not the Son of God. What are other ways that we transform Jesus or see him manipulated into something that serves our purposes? This is why we need the transfiguration. Because it shows us that that Jesus is not just about a political party. Jesus is not about a a genie fulfilling wishes. Jesus is not just a man who is a good teacher. Jesus is the Son of God. And we see the glory of God shining through him. Not by my definitions. Not by the way I define it. 
not by the worldview and the assumptions that I bring to it. But Jesus simply is the Son of God. And I'm a lot like Peter. I don't know what to do with that. There's a mystery to it. Something that is awe-inspiring. Something that needs further explanation that I just can't get. Who is this Jesus? And so we just continue to sit with him and to be in his presence, knowing that there is more than meets the eye. And I'm not going to try to turn him into something that suits my needs and meets my expectations. But I'm just going to sit in the mystery of who he is. The transfiguration reminds us who Jesus really is. Not who we need him to be but who he really is. And Jesus is not just a great teacher. He is, he's greater than the great teacher Moses and the great prophet Elijah. Jesus is not just an enlightened man. He's God in the flesh. And, and his glory shines brighter. He's not just this card that is played in arguments to beat somebody up. Not somebody just to fulfill our wishes. Jesus is the Son of God. And this is the man of mystery that we follow.